So I didn't actually make that video for this series. <laughs> but that's a great speech, is it not? One of my favorite scenes. And, but I wanted to introduce this morning to you an even greater message, uh, minus a painted face and a, a skirt and a really cool accent. Here's the greatest speech. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I want you to, I didn't make that up. That comes from Galatians chapter 5. But would you say that as we begin this series? It, it, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. One more time. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. I can't tell you how many times I read that, but I don't know that I really anchored into, what, what does that mean that it, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free? It, it is the introduction to Galatians chapter 5 and a four weeks that we're going to do here as we begin 2017 on the freedom that we have in Christ. The full verse, verse 1 of chapter 5, says this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject, what? Again, to a yoke of slavery. In other words, what he is addressing in this passage is there is a freedom that we have been given through the work of Christ in setting us free, but he's concerned that we would go back from the freedom. In other words, both then and even now, it's possible that not all who are free live free. You, you get that. That's it. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. In other words, it's possible to be free but not live free. And that's not just true spiritually. It's true, it's true in this way. Is it possible to be married but not live as one? Yeah. And that, see, you can be married but not be one in marriage. That's really kind of like being free, but not living free spiritually. It's possible to actually have children, but not be a parent. For most of us, we knew this. It's possible to be a student and not learn. <laughs> right? It drives me crazy. I have to remind my kids who go to college all the time. Now, remember, there's a reason you're there. And that includes like classes. Because they're enjoying the other part. But it's possible to be a student and not learn. It's possible to have kids and not parent. It's possible to be married and not be one. And it's possible to be free and not live free. It's simply what William Wallace was calling them to as a people. And it's what Paul is calling us as Christ followers to. To not go back to a slavery that we have been set free from. So the critical question as we begin Galatians 5 is this, free from what? We've been set free. It's for freedom that we've been set free, but free from what? So if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5, and then let's go back actually to chapter 3. And he will tell us what he has in mind for what we've been set free from. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, 24, and 25. But before faith came, we were kept in custody. You get that picture? Kept in custody where? Under the law. What's the law refer to there? It refers to, so you understand, it's the law as in the Old Testament requirements. 
Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the requirements of the Old Testament law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Long time before I even understood, and maybe this will be new for you this morning, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to instruct you and I to go to Christ so that we'd be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer where? Under a tutor. And what's the tutor? The law. So Paul writes the Romans, same mindset. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are where? What's it say? In Christ Jesus. So there was condemnation before Christ Jesus. Now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Why? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free. See? Sets you free from what? From the law of sin and of death. So there are, there are three laws, if you will, that we've been set free from. First, we are free from the condemning power of the Old Testament law. Free from the condemning power of the law. See, the law was never meant to save us. The law was meant to teach us we need a Savior. The law was given to reveal to us that we would never be good enough. That we could never be good enough. That we would always fall short of the standard of God's holiness. The law simply, it didn't make us sinners. It revealed to us who we really were. That we needed a Savior. But when Christ came, he set us free from the condemning power of the law because he fulfilled the law. So we are free from the condemning power of the law. He says... Christ has set you free so that you would live free from it. It's also freedom from the enslaving power of sin. Freedom from the enslaving power of sin. Romans 6 gives us a big if. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death that is Jesus, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here's all he's saying. If you would look up here for a moment, please. Simply saying, if, big if, if you've become united with him, that is, if you have placed faith in Christ, trusting in his death to be sufficient for your payment of the penalty for your sin, if you're trusting him, you have become one with him in death. But if you've become one with him in death, then you are also one with him how? In resurrection. See, for me anyway, my understanding of the gospel for years was limited to being identified with Christ in death. That his death in my place for the forgiveness. I didn't understand that it was identified with him in death for the forgiveness of sin as well as in resurrection for the walking, it says, in newness of life. We shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. In other words, we had been, before being identified with Christ, what? Slaves to sin. But once we are identified with him in death and in resurrection, then not only has the condemning power of the law been broken, we are free from that. We are no longer slaves to sin. We've been freed from it, from the enslaving power of sin. And now third, the stinging power of death. Paul writes to the Corinthians, the sting, now, now make sure you connect all three here. The sting of death is sin, 
And the power of sin is the law. Notice how we've already connected law, sin, and death and what we've been freed from because he says the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he sets us free from the condemning power of the law, the enslaving power of sin, and the stinging power of death. And to all of us now this morning, the, the speech, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. He set you free from what? The condemning power of the law so that you would live free of condemnation. He set you free from the enslaving power of sin so that you might live free to do righteousness to him. That your master changed from the cruel master of sin to the good shepherd master of Jesus. And he set you free from the stinging power of death so that you might die without fear. Free from, uh, no, free from death? No. Free from the stinging power of death. Friday, in here at 11, we had a home-going celebration. And most people, they think, oh, it was a funeral. No, it was a home-going celebration for a longtime member, Bill Thompson. And his wife, Alice, said to me, Doug, how many times did Bill say to me, I'm not scared to die. I'm not afraid to die. He wasn't anxious to die. He loved his wife. He loved his girl. He loved his three grandchildren. He enjoyed relationship, but he wasn't afraid to die. Why? Because he had been freed from the stinging power of death. And he was, therefore, he was living free. The point is that you and I have been freed so that we would live free. But how many, here's our burden, how many of us are free but still afraid to die, still living enslaved to sin and still living under the condemning power of the law? Freed <laughs> but not living free. Students, but not learning. Married, but not one. Kids, but not parents. We have an incredible capacity to not live who we really are. Can you identify that in your own life? How you, you don't fully live into who you really are in Christ Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let me demonstrate. He says in the text, there is the yoke of slavery. And that yoke, as we'll see in the text, is the condemning power of the law that they would not return. Two. So you and I, apart from Christ, we lived under the condemning power of the law. And we lived, I really should have found, I discovered first hour, a lighter chain. <laughs> or gotten TJ. <clears throat> wow. This is life, and really, I wish you could wear it for five minutes because it would physically remind you what you would live apart from Jesus, a weighty, burdensome, hard existence. And under 
the sting of death. So, please don't leave while I can't see you. But this, this really is, this is, see, I can't appreciate my freedom until I remember life and recall and know the agony and the burden and the desperation of the sting of death the weight of the burden of the law and slavery to sin. We need to remember that it was for freedom. And this is what we were apart from Christ. And then Christ died in our place. So that physical death would remain, but the, the sting of death would be removed. And he died in our place so that we would be identified with him in death and resurrection. So that in Christ, our slavery to sin would be broken. And that the condemning power of the law would be removed. So you should live with that for five minutes and then just feel the difference even after five minutes of what it's like to be removed from the yoke and the chain and the hood. And remember, life apart from Christ is not five minutes that way. It's get up that way. Go to work that way. Engage your family that way. Go to bed that way and get up again the next day that way. Under the burden, enslaved, facing the sting, afraid of the sting. And it is for freedom from this that Christ has set us free. Now, let me give you a perspective on Galatians 5. Three issues here. In Galatians 5, the sting of death is not what he's addressing. In Galatians 5, he's dealing with the condemning power of the law and the enslaving power of sin. But when he says again now in verse 1, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, what's he talking about? Slavery to sin or the yoke of the burden of the condemning power of the law. And you think, oh, I know you, Doug. You're going you're to say both. No, I'm not. He is, in verse 1, talking about either this or this. Do you know which one? Let's read, and you'll figure it out. Behold I, next verse. Paul say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep what? The whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So, let me ask you, is he talking about this in verse 1, or is he talking about this? Which? Hey, he's talking about the yoke in verse 1. We're going to come later to that. But this is his burden right now. That he is saying, remember, you were once under the condemning power of the law. The more you learned about the law of God, not the better you were, the, the worse you were. The uglier it became. The more you looked in the mirror of God's word and went... I am in trouble. 
And then Christ came and set you free. What do you say? <laughs> Don't go back again to this. Specifically, they were going back to the yoke of the law and attaching what to it in order to be saved. What did it say in the text? Specifically, what were they saying was necessary? Yes, the specific issue was circumcision. The historical fact underlying Galatians is recorded in Acts 15 where it says, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here's what's happening. The apostles have gone out and declared that the condemning power of the law was never intended to save you. It was intended to be a tutor to lead you to Christ. And when you place faith in Christ, what would happen? You'd be set free from the condemning power of the law. And now other men were coming along and saying, not so fast, not so easy. You must be, and they added circumcision. Yes, believe in Jesus, but Jesus plus circumcision And if you're not circumcised, you can't be, what do they say? You can't be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. See, there is this unless you do something, you can't be saved. And what is the gospel? (laughs) That Christ has set you free. And they came and said, no, unless you. And what they hung was circumcision. And so what I realize as I look at Galatians chapter 5 in this text is that actually there is what I would call the ever-present unless you. Ever-present, in other words, the unless you doesn't go away. It's just time-sensitive in terms of the specific. For that time and place, the unless you was unless you are circumcised. But that is not often in our present day what we add to Jesus in order to be saved. We do different things than circumcision in our present day. But there is an ever-present unless you give you some Example, there are men today in this city who are proclaiming that unless you are baptized, you can't be saved. They're not against Jesus. They're just for Jesus plus be baptized in order to be saved. Is that any different than unless you are circumcised? No, it's the same idea. It's the same idea of Jesus plus. And anytime we add plus, what are we doing? We are taking freedom that we have been set free for, and we are going back. That's what's happening. But it's not just that. It might be that you need to be baptized. It might be that you add on. This is attend confessional. Oh, see, it didn't work. This is life under the law. (laughs) Seriously. You may go, no, but you got to read your Bible. Or you may go, you got to 
pray. You got to receive communion. Or you got to be a Republican. <laughs> we laugh, but that's kind of what we say. Christ has set you free, but believe in Jesus plus. Now, you might not believe all of those, just one or two, or maybe some other ones. Maybe you think to be saved, you have to believe in creation, or you need to stop drinking. Mm. Or, what else? Stop. You didn't go to church with me growing up? Stop drinking, stop. Of course, stop smoking. What else better you stop? Dancing, people, dancing. (laughs) That's a yoke. Mm. Jesus may have long, had long hair, but you better cut yours. <laughs> Seriously. Some of you went to that church. Now, this is only partially helpful in visualizing. What would be much better... And if I had had TJ up here, this is what I would have done. Because I'm doing it, these are half sheets of paper. But really, what are they? They're like weights, like cinder blocks that we hang on these hooks. And Paul is simply saying, again, nobody in here probably is wrestling with unless you are circumcised, you can't be saved. But many of us have been through this and maybe still are prone to stick a few of these on. And not only do we stick them on, we engage people at work or in our neighborhood and watch. You want to trust in Jesus? And the gospel is horribly confused because all the things that we have added on, and this is why I'm saying this is the greatest speech ever made. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. That we wouldn't add on. And so Paul says, you are, and here's the fallacy. Here's the problem, that ultimately every unless you comes down to unless you do more good than bad, you're not going to be saved. But the fallacy is this. Paul, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Not if you've been circumcised, but if you receive circumcision for what point? In order to be saved, what? Christ will be of no benefit to you. See, he's not down on those who have been circumcised. He is down on those who have been circumcised in order to be saved. He's going... If you receive circumcision in order to be saved, then you don't need Christ. See, to add any unless you, if you hold to any of them, just pick one or two of them. If you hold to any of them, then Christ isn't of use to you. You you, you get his rationale? 
Why isn't Christ of any use to you if you hold to any of these? Just pick one or two. Why is he of no use? (laughs) Because I'm not trusting in him. I'm trusting in baptism or communion or my behavior, my morals. I'm trusting in them. If I'm trusting in any of those, and very few hold to all of these, I have combined a number of different streams of faith here in terms of what people have experienced of the unless use. If you hold to any of them, Christ is of no use. Why? (laughs) Because this is how you think you'll be saved. He said in verse 21 of chapter 2, If righteousness comes through the law, the keeping of the law, whether it's the Old Testament law or the law that we make up ourselves to identify and define righteousness, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. You see, it's, watch, don't miss this, it's either Christ or this. So either you... Trust in this, or you trust in Christ only. You cannot combine the two. Second fallacy, verse 3. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. In other words, hey folks, why just pick circumcision? Why not the other 612 laws? If, if, if we're choosing not Christ, but we're choosing law, then you don't get to pick and choose. If you choose law, you have to choose the, the whole enchilada. 70% keepage will not save you. If you choose law, you got to choose the whole deal. Because as James says, fail to any, you must hold to all, as James says. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point. He's become guilty of all. You see, it's not good enough for me driving down I-95 at 90 miles an hour, and the policeman pulled me over and say, but hey, I'm wearing my seatbelt, relax. <laughs> yes, I took a right on left. I, I took a, a left on red. But I did put my turning signal on. But that's how we kind of approach often our relationship with God. We pick a few things and say, well, as long as I do these, these are the important ones. And truth be told, if, if each of us could come up here and tear off the ones that we didn't believe and leave the, the ones that we did tend to believe, it'd look radically different because we, we think we can pick and choose in different streams and faith and, and different times over the years, different issues have been elevated. Circumcision then. Maybe baptism, maybe morality. There's always something unique to a time and to a people that says, this is what's important. And Paul says, it can't be. If you choose not to trust in Christ, but choose the law, then you don't get to just choose some of the law. You have to choose all of the law. And third, he says in verse 4, you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from where? Grace. Grace meaning you got something you didn't deserve. to, To add any of these, is to hold to a grace that is no longer grace. It it has some element of deserving nature to it. 
it spoils the whole deal. Here's how this works for Christmas in our house. Years ago, I recognized that uh, we were going to have to figure out how much we were going to spend on Christmas <laughs> and break that down kind of per child. And so, with lots of negotiating between what Jackie thought was enough and what I thought was enough, and you can, well, if you know us, I thought was enough and what she thought was enough was quite a negotiation, but we finally reached it. And then what did the kid, kids want to know? How much is it this year? Really, Christmas became not oh, I'm excited, what am I going to get for Christmas? The question became, how much do we get to spend? And you know, really, what's the numerical amount on that gift card called Christmas? And then they decide what they want for Christmas. And if it exceeded the amount, they'd simply say, well, I'll kick in the rest. So if they wanted something really expensive, like one of my kids did this year, then they simply take my credit card to the store, they buy it, they come home, we subtract the difference from their checking account and transfer it into my checking account, the difference between what our ceiling was and what the price was, we transfer that amount, wrap it up, and then they open it Christmas morning. <laughs> because they already know what it is, and it's not that exciting to really, really give it to them because... Because I didn't. I gave some of it to them. And they're not really, really that grateful because <laughs> they paid for some of it. And sometimes more than half of it. Because they wanted something really big and we made a deposit. <laughs> and it kind of spoils the whole deal in some sense, if you know what I mean. I mean, I'm glad they got what they wanted, but... It doesn't seem much like a gift. Why not? Oh, folks, why not? Because it's not. You get me? That's what we're talking about here. This is why our gratitude is often fairly... Eh. Because we don't want to admit it, but we've... Tied on some of our stuff. And so we recognize it wasn't only us. Jesus had a nice part. He definitely put a significant deposit down. But let's remember, I did mine. That's not the gospel. But it's how we get life the way we want it. Did you catch that? It's how we get life the way we want it. We say, I'll take a little bit of Jesus, and then a little bit of this, and then I'll be a little bit grateful and have life the way I want it. And it's not the gospel. The gospel is, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Put it down. See, it's by grace. Not a little bit of grace, not mostly grace, only grace. You have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift, 100%, not, not, helpful, not helpful, a gift of God. Not as a result of works. Paul just can't get it around enough to go, it's not anything about you and what you've done and what you are doing. It's only about Christ and what he has done. You add to it, it's not a gift. You want to try and do the law, then you better buy the whole enchilada. But it's only by grace through faith. Because anything you staple on gives you cause to boast. There is a single 
unless you for freedom. And you know what the single unless you for freedom is? <laughs> you cross out the you and replace it with Christ. It's not unless you. It's unless Christ sets you free. You can't be free. Now I know, I know that many of you may be thinking, really, really? I think I know that, Doug. Yeah, I, I know that you know it, but I also know that what the scripture declares is that all of us are prone to go back again. This is why the scripture says, stand firm in Galatians 5 and don't go back again to the yoke of slavery. And so I want to ask you, for you personally, and this will really be different from individual to individual this morning, for you personally, what are you prone to add on to Jesus? Maybe I didn't even staple it on up here. Maybe you have something else. What are you prone to add on to Jesus? I doubt for anybody, it's all of these. But I suspect for almost all of us, there's something we're prone to. I'm not saying you are. I'm saying you're prone to it. And you have to be reminded again, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So what is it? Would you be willing to write it down? Here's the thing. Here, here, here's the the two things. Here's the, the three things. <laughs> that when it comes down to it, when I tell people about Jesus, it's, you want Jesus plus these two or three things? I wanted us this morning to simply be reminded there's a single unless you, and it's not you. It's Christ. Unless Christ sets you free, you're not free. And the reminder that Jesus gave to do that is in taking a little piece of bread and taking a cup. We have juice. They had wine. Don't be bothered by that. It was the reminder, Jesus said. He inserted himself into a Passover feast and said, this is the reminder that I am the only, unless, that I am the only one who can set you free. So I want to invite the men to come forward with those elements. Piece of bread, and you can put your stuff away. That'll help you. A piece of bread that reminds us that the body of Christ was broken on our behalf. A cup holding juice in it to remind us that it is only through the blood of Jesus that we can be forgiven. I want us to share in this time as simply a reminder that it is in Christ and it is in Christ alone that we are saved that it is 100% by grace, that it is only what he has done. And so as the elements are being passed, would you just take a, take a quiet moment and confess to the Lord how you're prone to add to what only Jesus can do. And then we will declare together the amazing grace of God. Take a moment, though, and acknowledge how you're prone to add to Jesus.
as we hold the elements, let's declare together in your seat the acceptance of such an amazing gift that was given to us and His grace. The gift is only received, it's not earned. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It was grace that's all. justified by what we do, then this was a waste. This was needless. But if it's by grace that we have been saved and, and that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, we're free. Serve a good Savior. I want to invite you just to, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, would you just there in your seat say, Lord Jesus, I am trusting you and only you as my Savior. I cannot save myself. Thank you for doing for me what only you could do. Thank you for amazing grace. And then, then, not with partial gratitude or a little gratitude, but with full gratitude, we can take in remembrance of our Savior. Let's do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Why don't we stand together and lift up one united voice to him in our praise and thanks for his sufficiency and his grace that was given. The Lord has
some, this may be the first time that you've heard it is simply as it's the grace of God through the work of Jesus that you've always thought it's been works and might be blowing your mind a little bit and you have questions. And so please don't hesitate to, to ask. We always have men and women out around the corner here, my left, your right, if you're over in north, straight out the back doors to simply say, I have some questions about trusting in Jesus alone. Or if you're wanting to take out one of those communication cards in the seat back and write your information and you want a conversation, please, what I'm saying is don't hesitate to ask what it means to trust in Jesus alone if this is a new message for you. It'd be our great privilege to share with you that you might be free as Christ has set us free. Greatest message in all the world. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Would you live in God's grace? God bless.